Welcome everybody to another episode of the Troubadour Podcast. Today is Ballad Wednesday, and I will be reading The Wife of Usher's Well. Now, these are traditional ballads that I'm reading, which means that we don't know the author. These are just stories that are passed down generation after generation, perhaps for hundreds and hundreds of years. As I've mentioned on previous shows, ballads are like poetry, epics, a way for a community to come together and unite and to build bridges and to build similar stories that serve as the basis for the values in that society. Now, I believe it's important to understand what a ballad is, how it works. Same thing with poetry, literature in general, because it allows us to understand the world that we live in today. And I don't just mean you have to know all these ballads, otherwise you're not going to understand our world today and and the culture that we live in. But what I mean is it's a kind of a, a simplistic training that many of us don't get in how to look at stories and the meanings that they have. Now, if you know, on Sundays, I also do something called Sunday Morning Poetry, which is, it's a video and an audio. This is audio only for Ballad Wednesday. And on Sunday Morning Poetry, I'm covering lyrical ballads, which was a revolutionary form of poetry done by William Wordsworth and Coleridge, and it essentially sparked the English Romantic movement. Now, I argue that the poetry in there has changed our values, the way we look at the world. It's literally changed over the course of a couple hundred years, the consciousness of Americans and the English and many Europeans in general. I believe it's had an effect on all of Europe. But today we're going to just be going back to simpler things, to see these very simplistic, traditional ballads to give us a better understanding of the ballad form as a poetry, and hopefully maybe even to enjoy an interesting story once in a while. And eventually, by the way, I will be getting into different types of ballads, ballads that are more classic literature that you might study at you know a PhD level, or you know in, a, in an English course, I should say. PhDs would definitely study traditional ballads. You know, so we'd we'd study, we'll we'll look into things like just what are called modern ballads or even um, intellectual ballads and and other forms of ballads. Okay, so I did want to teach you a little concept uh, that will maybe help you with ballads. And this is just the idea of a community composing a ballad. And this is an actual story from 1905. So in 1905, a missionary in the Faroe Islands had an opportunity of seeing a community of people who were very primitive in their habits in the act of composing a communal ballad. So he saw them compose, create a communal ballad. On the, quote, on the remote Faroe Islands, where the community even now is homogenous, 1905, to a remarkable degree where the old dances with joined hands in a great circle are still danced to the tune of a traditional ballad, which all must be sung, and where on every occasion member, on every occasion, every member of a festive throng must still improvise his stanza. Conditions of a century ago, 
favored communal verse in a measure seldom found with folk of such an advanced stage of civilization. The ballad was and is sung by this people, not like dance music, simply to order their steps. So this is important. So the ballad was and is sung by the people, not like dance music, simply to order their steps. I mean, think about a club today. But by its meaning and contents, to waken certain feelings. And that's by the meaning. So it's the meaning that's really critical in ballads. That's why stories are important. Now, I think um, what you get, of course, is, well, let me, let me actually continue before I go on. So meaning and content to awaken certain feelings. The dancers, by their gestures and expressions, take pains to show the various contents. So they're actually using gestures to try to express certain content. They could also make a new ballad in most dramatic fashion at the dance. As for example, when some fisherman has had a mishap with his boat, sturdy companions push him out into the dancing throng, and first one and then another stanza is improvised upon the fatal theme, until a complete story of the situation, with much repetition, uproarious refrain, and considerable dramatic action is attained. If the song wins general favor, it is remembered and sung from year to year, a genuine, traditional, and communal ballad. So the, the point is, and why I read you that quote, that's a quote from um, a book called The Popular Ballad by Francis B. Goumer. And I think it's important, again, because we often... You know, we have all these popular stories and, you know, when you watch movies and you, you listen to pop songs or country songs, it may seem like they're doing a lot of new things or some new story, but really they're not. They're telling stories in a different form or different, like a slightly different updated version that they may not even realize they're copying that's been around for a thousand years or something. And I think it's helpful and interesting and hopefully inspiring to just hear the story that is hundreds of years ago and to get an understanding of ballads themselves. And that's kind of the, the purpose of Ballad Wednesday. Now, this one today is about the wife of Usher's Well. Now, it takes place around or on Martinmas, which is November 11th. And this is um, basically just a feast for St. Martin. But it was the time when the country folk killed hogs and other meat for the winter supply of meat. Merrymaking and feasting lightened the burden of the work, but since at Martinmas nights were lang and murk, as they call it in the ballad, or I'm going to change it to long and dark, the night is long and dark and full of terrors. It was also because of this a favorable time for ghost seeing. This ballad, The Wife of Usher's Well, tells of a household that could not make merry with the neighbors. For the mother could not cease mourning her three sons, all lost at sea at one time. She can only curse the sea and weep. So it's a little bit of a sad tale, but we'll, we'll maybe briefly ask, I'll ask you a couple of questions um, if you're interested in thinking about this a little bit. 
And also, you know, I, if anybody was interested, I could put these questions up online too. I really think that ballads, if you're a teacher or if you're a, a parent of young kids, I think ballads are a great opportunity to teach young kids about language and the variety of language. Like it's really hard for us today to really comprehend the fact that all of the way we use grammar was invented in the same way that someone invented the car and the light bulb and gasoline refinement, the chemical process, that there was an invention. There was people sitting, you know, this, you know, the wife of Usher's well might've been a community ballad where people got together and they told ghost stories and they were, you know, dancing around and telling these stories. And then some genius was really good at it. And he told something and he used language in a slightly different way that improved it so that pe more people can understand it. And then the next generation, they did a little more until finally it gets into the hands of a genius, like a Chaucer who puts them together beautifully and, uh, you know, really sets the tone for the language. And then it improves and improves and improves. Milton improves and improves and improves. Wordsworth improves and improves and improves. And yeah, we don't have anybody. <laughs> we haven't had anybody in a long time. So anybody, anyway, um, that's just a little bit of, I hope to interest you in the ballad more. The wife. So I'm going to read now the wife of ushers. Well, Oh, I'm sorry. And just as a reminder, I'm going to, um, try to focus on the meaning because I don't, um, sing and I'm not a good singer at all. And if I can find a, um, a version where this is sung, and a lot of times I have found them online. I'll go ahead and put that on the website, troubadourmag.com. That's T-R-O-U-B-A-D-O-U-R, mag, M-A-G.com. Okay, so here we go. The Wife of Usher's Well. There lived a wife at Usher's Well, and a wealthy wife was she. She had three stout and stalwart sons, and sent them o'er the sea. They ha had not been a week from her, a week but barely one, when word came to the carline wife, old peasant woman, that her three sons were gone. They had not been a week from her, a week but barely three, when word came to the old peasant woman that her sons she'd never see. I wish the wind may never cease, nor fashes in the the flood, troubles on the sea, till my three sons come home to me in earthly flesh and blood. It fell about the Martinmas, when nights are lang and murk, long and dark. The Carline's wife, old peasant woman, the Carline's wife, three sons came home, and their hats were o oh, the burk they wore a bit of birch in their hats. It neither grew in marsh nor ditch, nor yet in any trench, but at the gates of paradise that burke grew fair enough. Blow up the fire now, maidens mine, bring water from the well, for at my house shall feast this night since my three sons are well. And she has made to them a bed, she made it large and wide, 
and she's wrapped her mantle them about, sat down at the bedside. Up then crew the red, red cock, and up and crew the gray. The oldest to the youngest said, "'Tis time we were away. The cock doth crow, the day doth dawn. The channer and worm doth chide, fret. If we be missed out our place, a sore pain must we endure. Lie still, lie still, a little wee while, lie still but if we may. If my mother should miss us when she wakes, she'll go mad ere it be day. Oh, it's they've taken up their mother's mantle, and they've hanged it on the peg. Oh, lang may ye hang my mother's mantle, ere ye wrap us again. Fare ye well, my mother dear, farewell to barn and byre, cow stable. And fare ye wheel, the bonny lass, that kindles my mother's fire. The end. So, that, that's one that may, you need to listen to a, a time or two. I think it's simple, but there's some deceptive simplicity in what's happening. I mean, the story is very simple. There was a woman, and she lived in a place called Usher's Well, She's, it's, she's called a wealthy wife, but she's not wealthy because she's later called um, a Carline wife, which I take to be, um, which means an old peasant woman. And I take that to be, she's not actually wealthy, but she's wealthy because she has three wives. But it could be a play on that where she was wealthy because she had three wives and or sons and she was wealthy, but then she lost them and she became a Carline wife. Now, we know that it's the dreaded sea that causes the tragedy. So think about, you know, if she's a Carline wife, an old peasant woman, which I don't know the etymology, like I said, but she's a Carline wife. So why did they go to sea? Were they fishermen? What, what is it exactly? Because all we know is, you know, and a wealthy wife was she. She had three stout and stalwart sons and sent them over the sea. They had not been a week from her, a week but barely one, when word came to the Carline's wife that her three sons were gone. And then she later curses the sea. I wish the wind may never cease, nor fashes in the flood, which means um, troubles on the sea. Till my, so basically, she wants their, to, the, the wind to never cease and the troubles in the seas to never cease till her three sons come home to me and earthly flesh and blood. So she wants them to come back in flesh and blood. So the next question to ask is, do they come back in flesh and blood? Like, What's going on when we, when we hear um, the next later on, it neither grew in uh, marsh nor ditch, nor yet in any trench, but at the gates of paradise, that Burke grew fair enough. And oh, I'm sorry, right above that, actually, I messed that up. Right above that, it says, it fell about the Martinmas when nights are long and dark. The Carline's wife, wife's three sons came home, and their hats were o oh, the bark, were o oh, the burk, and burk o oh, the uh, her their hats were o oh, the burk. Basically, means they wore a bit of birch in their hats. Now, this I don't, 
like again, this is hundreds of years ago, and I'm not um, an anthropologist. I don't know all the the history here. And I looked up some things. My my assumption is that the birch in their mar- their hats is something that you know it's like birch wood that maybe is is at sea or maybe they're buried with it. But to me, that that indicates that they were dead of some sort. Like this is you know something some float some or maybe even the boat was made out of this that they sunk in and. And they got some in their hats. It neither grew in uh, marsh nor ditch. And by it, I I assume they mean berg or the birch. Nor yet in any trench, but at the gates of paradise, that berg, birch, grew fair enough. So, yeah, I mean, my, my assumption is that the birch represents something along the lines of their death. It doesn't grow on earth. It grows in paradise at the gate, but at the gates of paradise. So it neither grew in marsh or ditch, etc. Blow up the fire now, maiden's mine. Bring water from the well. Far at my house, for at my house shall feast this night, since my three sons are well. Now I think we learn that this may be a dream of hers, right? But it could be her actual assumption. She believes maybe they came back as ghosts. And then, and she has made to them a bed. She's made it large and wide. And she's wrapped her mantle them about, sat down at the bedside. So she sat down, presumably to go to sleep. Up then crew the red, red rock. And up and crow. Let me, so actually the crew means crow. So up then crow the red, red cock. And so the rooster crows. And up and crow the gray. The eldest to the youngest said, the eldest son to the youngest son, you know, of these brothers, these three stout and stalwart sons, tis time we were away. So I think that's, that's important too, that the, the elder came to let hit, hit the, the youngest see the daughter one more time, or the mother one more time, but now they have to go away. The cock does crow, the day does dawn. The chanter and worm doth chide. So chanter and worm <laughs> doth chide means something like fretting worm does scold. So, which didn't really help me that much in terms of understanding it. My, my assumption is, again is something like the, the chanter and worm does chide something like the worm awaits us. You know, it's not good to be out of the, you know, uh, our graves for too long. If we be missed out our out of our place, a sore pain we must endure. So we can't be out of our graves for too long. It's unnatural. We're going to have to endure pain if we do. Maybe go to hell or something. Lie still, lie still a little wee while. Lie still, but if we may. If my mother should miss us when she wakes, she'll go ere it. She'll go mad before it be day. Who do you think says that? Lie still, lie still a little wee while, lie still, but if we may, if my mother should miss us when she wakes, she'll go mad before it be day. So I think that's the little, the youngest son, right? Remember it just said, the eldest to the youngest said, tis time we were away. And so the, the youngest says, lie still, lie still a little wee while, lie still, but if we may, if my mother should miss us when she wakes, she'll go mad ere it be day. Oh, it's they've taken up their mother's mantle. 
and they hanged it on the peg. O long may ye hang my mother's mantle, ere ye wrap us again. Fare ye weal, my mother dear, fare weal to barn and byre, and fare ye weal the bonny lass that kindles my mother's fire. So how do they leave her? Did, do you think she woke before they left? And I think that's actually not clear unless I'm missing something. I don't think they um, say that for sure. So I, it could be that, you know, she's still there asleep or she might have said goodbye and, you know, said her goodbyes and everything. And then last question to think about is, did they see the Bonnie Lass for the first, so, you know, young girl for the first time on the evening of their arrival or had one of them known and loved her? So is there an you know, instance of lost love here? Do you think that they spoke much with her that evening? How much is hinted at at the one brief mention of her? Fare ye weal, my mother dear, fare weal to barn and byre, that's the cow stable, and fare ye weal the bonny lass that kindles my mother's fire. So I'll just leave you with my, you know, take on that. I definitely think there was a love loss. I can't imagine three stalwart young sons of this, you know, wealthy, wonderful wife in this ghost tale that doesn't include a bonny lass. So I think that there's a bonny lass that was waiting for them, that was with the mother, that was going to marry maybe the eldest, maybe the youngest. Maybe they, they don't really talk about the middle. Who cares about the middle? <laughs> and she was there. And I think there was a kind of ghostly conversation that she had. And fairy, and he says, and fare ye well, the bonny lass that kindles my mother's fire. So the, the one that's going to have to kind of take care of his mother. It's almost, I think, uh, asking of her to do this for him. Okay. So that was the ballad, The Wife of Usher's Well. The Wife of Usher's Well. Um, which, by the way, is an interesting thing to think about. The Wife of Usher's Well, which is a place. right? So why is she the wife of this place? And what does she mean to that? Well, today was Ballad Wednesday for Troubadour Podcast. On Sunday, I'll be doing another poem for Sunday Morning Poetry out of Lyrical Ballads. So I hope you join me there, and I will see you next time.